Welcome to Catch the Fire Toronto's weekly sermon podcast. This message was recorded live at Catch the Fire Church in Toronto, Canada. We hope you enjoy it. It's an honor, but also a bit humbling when, um, you know, Jonathan used to come in, as, I mean, Mel and others have come in and they ask you these questions and you're like, oh, dear Jesus, I don't know the answer to that one. <laughs> you know, so there, you're, you're always... Uh, doesn't matter how much you learn, there's always more. You know, the, the depths of God and the mysteries of God are always bigger than, than you can imagine. And so uh, it always helps keep you um, a bit humble, I think. Hopefully, anyway. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my daughter had, her, had a birthday, a significant birthday. And so Kathy and I were over at her house or at her apartment. Uh, we were I think we were waiting for the Indian food to arrive. Oh, it's glorious. And, uh, and I, I, must have, I must have picked up a magazine or looked at something on TV. And I just, I made this comment out loud. I said, oh, it's, it's amazing. I don't understand why the, uh, the news keeps talking about the Capitol Hill riots. And then I realized, oh, actually, it's been a whole year. Since that that event, of course, you remember the uh, Trump supporters and and others uh, managed to move towards and actually the battery. Wow, that was weird. Uh, into the Capitol building in order to try and stop uh, Biden from uh, or being presented that he had won the election. And um, there was this article in BBC. Uh, few weeks, actually probably this week, and it was called uh, Biden One Year On, and the subtitle was, Has the U.S. Become Ungovernable? And in it, it says, the plea for national unity, and this is, of course, when Biden was inaugurated, he focused somewhat on unity, on bringing America together, uniting our people, and uniting our nation. And that was, I love the ideal of that, but I remember when he was talking about that feeling a bit like, oh boy, this is, a t- this is a tall task. And this article says that the plea, that plea for national unity sounds more like magical thinking. And far from coming together, the United States is even in more perilous uh, state of disunion. And uh, I mean, in a, in a way, it's kind of ironic when you think about, uh, you know, just even the name United States, and there's so much dissension and disunity. Uh, now, I, I've singled out the United States because it's easy, newsworthy, but in reality, the whole world is in a state of disunity. It feels like it's an unprecedented state of discord, and that could be just because of news cycles and our ability to hear what's happening everywhere. But uh, it's, it, it is everywhere. Disunity and discord is everywhere. And just as a kind of uh, background, I did some research uh, into secession and uh, disunity in Canada. And of course, we're all familiar with the more recent things, which have to do with Quebec and the various referendums and votes. And uh, some of you, how many of you remember the FLQ crisis? Put your hands up. Wow, okay. Uh, significant moment in Canadian history. Uh, my wife and some of you who have lived in Montreal remembers the we and no, the we and no buses. Uh, you know, if you would only get on a certain bus, you know, if you, if you wanted to be, a, you know, if you wanted Quebec to separate, you, you would get on whatever bus it was. 
uh, I think it was, uh, I can't remember now which one was which, and vice versa. You wouldn't get on the opposite bus. But actually in Canada, there's been a long history of disunity in a way. I mean, that's so weird to me to think about it. But there were rebellions in uh, uh, Lower Canada, Upper Canada. Uh, there were a couple of rebellions uh, uh, in the Western provinces. And even in modern times, there are no less than 20 uh, political parties and movements that are dedicated to autonomy or succession. So at one time or another, there have been parties that, uh, that have stood for British Columbia separating, Vancouver Island, Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, the, all the Western provinces, all the Eastern provinces, uh, Labrador and Newfoundland, etc. My favorite, my favorite is the Buffalo Party of Saskatchewan. Because, well, who wouldn't want Buffalo in the name of your movement? That's just awesome right there. Uh, but I think the one that's the weirdest was the Vancouver Island Party. Because this party advocated that Vancouver Island separate from British Columbia and then join Canada as its 11th province. Isn't that bizarre? Disunity and unity at the same time. But anyway, my point is this. There's a lot of, of disunity in the world right now. And it's not healthy. It's not good. There's no way in which it's good. And we don't want to be part of that. We want to be uh, people who bring others together. And, and when you get right down to it, it's hard to create unity, but it's vastly harder to maintain unity, especially a healthy unity. Okay, so let me just say that again. It's hard to create unity, but it's way harder to maintain unity, especially a healthy unity. So uh, when Steve asked me to speak on this topic, my immediate response was, no, no way, because I don't know anything about this. That strikes a, a note of confidence in you, doesn't it? No. Uh, I, that was my, I, I have no idea what to talk about. I don't even know where to go. Maybe I'd go to John 17 or something. But uh, I had some conversation uh, with my wife and, um, you know, with God, and then, uh, you know, I just unexpectedly, I felt drawn to Philippians 2. And some key items in, in the book of Philippians, written by uh, the apostle, the theologian Paul, and, and writing to the church in Philippi. And uh, let me just get to the key, key text. Key text. This is uh, chapter 2, verse 2, if you have your Bibles. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Complete my joy that you may all have the same thinking or the same mind, having the same love, one accord or, or the same soul in, in, in your thinking, in, in, in this one mind. And the language is a bit difficult, and thankfully our... our um, some of the modern versions clean it up and smooth it out a bit. But the bottom line is uh, there's, there's this word phreneo, and it has to do with, with, uh, with, with your thinking, with your mind, setting your mind on something. In fact, one time it, it's actually translated harmony, which is kind of helpful. So if, if there's going to be unity that is maintained, it has to start with our thinking. 
Our thinking is the thing that makes it happen and keeps it happening. And it has to be changed into a certain way of thinking. Now, Paul is speaking, and this is not unusual, not, not uh, just something that happened back then. It happens now every single day. But Paul is talking to a particular church in which there's some discord. And he loves this church. He loves this church deeply. If you read some of the language, he talks about longing for these people in the beginning of the, of the book. So he just loves these people, but he's saying there's a bit of a problem here. And I want you, I have joy over you, but I want, make my joy complete. Well, how do we do that? By, by having the same mind and overcoming the, this, the, this kind of dis, discord that's happening in, in your midst. This all depends upon your thinking. Okay, so how, how, do, how do we get this thinking? What is the thinking? How do we get to it? Number one is this. We have to create the atmosphere of love for others. Now, we use the language of love in church. We may, if, you know, if, if disunity is happening at work, that, that may not be quite the, you know, the, the label we want to put on it, but it's, it's the thing. We have to create the atmosphere of love. We have to create the experience of love for others. That's the first thing we need to do. Now, listen, um, he, he says this. He says, therefore, if you have, if, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship, togetherness in the spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete, please, I beg you by being of the same mind and maintaining the same love. So where do we get this kind of encouragement? Well, when we become Christians, we have this connection with Jesus. We have a pipeline via the Holy Spirit, and we receive many of these things. He talks about the Spirit here. But we also receive it in community. We're not meant to be lone Christians riding around doing our thing. We're meant to be part of a community called church. And he's saying, if you've received any of this from Jesus, from, from, from the community that you're in, and we should have to some degree or another, maybe not perfectly, that if that's so, then replicate it. Then rep replicate it. Let me, just, let me just read this. Make my joy complete by being the same mind and maintaining the same love, united in spirit. That language is very similar to what he's already said, if, da 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 da, da. So I'm, I'm quite aware, this kept ringing around in me as I was preparing this, is that, you know, for many of us, what we experience uh, in disunity and discord is not in the environment of church. It's in our relationship with our spouse or our children or at work or at school or someplace. So uh, is this only supposed to be for unity in the church? No, it's really not. And maybe at work you've not, in, you've not experienced encouragement and, and compassion and empathy and all of those kinds of things, but that doesn't mean that you can't create the atmosphere of love. All it means is that you have to take those steps. You have to step it out yourself. 
so that others can experience what Jesus has for them, whether you put the label of Jesus on it or not. We, if we want unity, no matter where we are, we have to create, as a first step, we have to create an experience of love for other people. There's a, I probably said this before, but one of my favorite books ever is uh, called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. And uh, in the book, he talks about what are the, what are the three elements that are common across uh, uh, church, the military, um, schools, a business, et cetera. What are, the, what are the three common things that, that create the best culture? And he gives this example of Greg Popovich, who was the, I'm not sure if he's still the coach, but he was the coach of the San Antonio Spurs, the National Basketball Association. And when they did this analysis, uh, the Spurs won over 170 70 games more than they should have, given their talent and budget and all those things. They won 170 games more than they should have. That's twice as many as any other team. Well, why is that? It's because uh, Popovich understands this value, and I don't know that he's a Christian particularly, um, but, but he is, understands the value of caring for his players. So some of the examples that were given was that, you know, he, there was a, he was recruiting somebody, and he went to the island, a young man, the island where he lived, where he grew up, and he spent a week there. Spent a week there just going around with him, seeing how life was for him, talking about all kinds of things like family and dreams and goals and all those things. And he created, created this connection with him. Uh, after one particularly uh, bad loss, the team were a bit nervous about what's going to happen at the practice the next day. But he comes in, he's got his baggy shorts on. I think he's drinking a, a Slurpee or something, a big gulp. And he goes around to each of the players and kind of talks to them, you know, lays a hand on them. And uh, even to the player who particularly messed up, he comes over, he talks to him, they sort of have Bach wrestle, and, and there's this connection. And when the team looked like they were going to win the championship and then lost it in the last minute or two, he immediately went to the place where they were supposed to meet after the game, brought, got their, their, each one's favorite wines, favorite foods, met them at the door, uh, you know, went around during the night and touched base with every one of them, laid hands on them, etc. What is that? That's, 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 a, that's, an, uh, that's creating the atmosphere of love. Is empathy, compassion, demonstrated love, eye contact, physical touch. Because he knows that in order to create a unified team that has purpose and health, you have to demonstrate those things. Now, I don't know what the rest of his life is like, but that there creates something that is unified. And so for us, if we want to have unity and maintain it, we, we're going to have to create and uh, this experience of love for other people. Let me just say as a bit of an aside here, my theology would say this, that because we all believe in Jesus, we should all be unified. Uh, church history tells us that that's ridiculous. 
right? How many fractures and splits have there been? And, and you know, it's, it's not just church. It's, it's everywhere. So, you know, we're humans. Uh, it doesn't mean that it doesn't work. It just means that we, we can't create and maintain unity by a doctrinal belief. Even by the allegiance to Jesus, it's, it's not going to hold us enough. I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen, actually, in reality, in real time. So, you, you, you know, you can, you can, you can have a, a movement of people who take the Capitol Hill, but if they become to power, that unity will fracture into a million pieces because it's not enough. It's not enough. And you can, you can create a unity around anger and frustration and disappointment and whatever it is, even something really good, but you can't maintain it because you don't have the, the real underpinnings, which is the experience of love, which is the essence of, of the Godhead, the person that we, that we follow, Jesus. All right, number two, how do we make this happen? Well, we have to get rid of our selfish ambition. We have to get rid of our selfish ambition. Uh, the f- phrase in Philippians 2, 3 is do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit. And the words here, there are two words here, but you know, they, they do have to do with the self. They have to do, there's a sense of rivalry in some of this. Uh, ambition is not wrong, by the way. I, would, I was about to say, anybody who is ambitious, put your hand up. But that sounds bad, doesn't it? Yeah, because somehow we label ambition as a bad thing. Ambition is not wrong, and it's not bad. See, it's, it's, it's normal. Uh, you know, you probably passed by uh, Zach, um, who was out, out the front, one of the young men in charge of uh, operations. Uh, you know... It's normal for him and healthy for him to, A, want to be the best that he can be at the job that he's in now. And it's also normal for him to want to do more. You know, Zach, for instance, is, he's got a pretty solid background. It's, it's, it's normal for him to, to want to exercise that power, to make a dent, to put a mark um, maybe not for himself, but, but to impact the people around him, to have influence with the people around him. It's not wrong to have some ambition, to want to, to do better and climb higher and have more responsibility. It's not wrong. What is wrong is if it's all about you. If it's all about the self, if it's all about making a mark for yourself, then that's where it becomes uh, selfish. And that, that kind of thinking we have to get rid of. Remember, it's all about what we're thinking. We have, to, we have to get rid of our selfish ambition. So we all, you know, we all know people who, and we've experienced this, people who are just about promotion, that's all, that's all they're looking for, uh, to, to look good, to be better, to take credit for some success, maybe even not their success, somebody else's success. Uh, even to the point of biting, clawing, uh, being just generally offensive to get what they want. That's not the kind of ambition we're looking for. That's selfish ambition. 
And nobody likes that. When we experience it from others, we're disgusted, we hate it, we're disappointed, and it becomes infuriating, doesn't it? Anybody experience that? Of course, I don't because I work in church, but, you know. Who came? Uh, when, Kathy, uh, when Kathy and I were uh, in Bible school uh, early on, well, I'm just about to, they lie to what I said, but uh, when we were just gra- about to graduate Bible school, uh, one of our teachers was uh, also the pastor of a very large church in our denomination. We were living in Dallas. And uh, I don't remember how it happened, but he, uh, he, he asked us, you know, would you, you know, would you consider being, you and Kathy being youth pastors here. And we were honored because, uh, and, and we were excited because, I mean, he, he and his wife were amazing, smart, uh, mature, well-rounded uh, leaders. And it would have been, uh, would have been glorious. Um, but, you know, we had to wait a few weeks to see if that was going to happen. It turned out that the elders of the church decided that that money that could have gone to us in that role uh, went to some mission venture. Uh, fair enough, that was, that was okay. But, uh, but when we first were asked, within a few days, maybe it was a week or so, the pastor of our church, the where we were going to school, it was church-based, just kind of like here. Uh, that, that pastor, and again, it was like a lar- one of the leading churches in the denomination, just across the city from the other one. That pastor came to us and took us aside and he said to us, what will it, keep? What will it take to keep you here? Very intense. What will it take to keep you here? We're Canadians, uh, can't just stay in the States. And uh, of course, we're thinking, well, uh, I don't know exactly. Uh, that was the end of that conversation. And what happened was that when, when it became clear we were not going to go to the other church, he, he totally forgot about us. Totally forgot. It wasn't about us. It wasn't about his church. It was just about getting ahead of that guy over there. Was making a notch and beating out somebody else. That kind of thinking we, we have to get rid of. It's not Jesus and it's not, not what disciples should be and it doesn't create or maintain any kind of unity. And unity is a significant thing that we have to think about in this world. Okay, when there's unity, we can do nearly everything with God. But when there's disunity, it, it, it functionally hurts us and impairs us as people, as organizations. We're just, we just limp along and, and collect our paychecks. We're not carrying out the, the, what we're supposed to. All right, uh, the third thing is just the opposite. Number three is we have to think about others. Duh. <laughs> Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about others' interests. Uh, here's the second part of this. Uh, he says, but with humility of mind, there's that word, phreneo again, uh, humility of thinking, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't, don't, don't merely look for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, this is hard because we're hardwired to think about ourselves first. You know, we're built to make sure that we're doing okay. That we're going to not only survive, but we're going to thrive. Therefore, thinking 
uh, th this is our, our first impulse, generally. And so what, what's being asked here is to do something totally different. Is to put off that thing right there and to think about somebody else. You know, in the ancient world, just like now, people, people want to be important and they want you to know that they're important. And they'll do anything to kind of keep that, that cycle going. You know, in, in, if I was in a pastor's meeting and I had some, um, some view about how worship went today, and uh, I, I thought, you know, we need to do something different here. But Dallas and Hope have a different idea about this. We might come to loggerheads, right, as we say, loggerheads, where we, 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 we just run into each other. I want what I want because I think that's the right thing. And maybe it'll make me look good. I don't know. And they want what they want because this is what they think is, is right. And this is what they, what, what's important to them. So we can have this standoff, and it's not going to be pretty, and Steve and Sandra will have to jump in and separate us, etc. No, it never really comes to that. But, 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 but if we're at this loggerheads, how, how are we going to get past that? How are we going to work together and be together as a team? How am I going to appreciate what they bring? Well, I have to think about them. What, what's important to them? What, what do they consider to be vital? And what's, at the, what's going on in, in their heart? We have to consider not just what we want. We have to consider someone else. And, and again, I just want to say this. It's not just in church. It's in every place where we have relationship and where we're working, where we're learning, etc. Where there's disunity, it, it happens because we don't have that going on. And when we do have that going on, it smooths the way for there to be unity. Naomi Arillo, some of you know this, she came up in between the first and second service and she quoted or she cited uh, the theologian Oscar Coleman. So I'm always going to listen to Oscar. Um, and, he, and, and she said, you know, you need to think about other people as a gift. Other people as a gift. They're bringing something God is bringing something through them that you don't have. A perspective, an opportunity. What is that? I thought that was great what she said. So we need to think about not just our own interests and our own needs, but what, what are the interests and needs of other people? And in the, in the process of that, of dialing down our emotions sometimes and working through that, we can, we can figure out a way often for both of us to get what's important to us. Or at bottom line, one of us needs to give way. But if we can give way sometimes uh, in a way that doesn't rupture unity because we've actually cared about each other. You know, when I was talking about Canada and the rebellions, I was struck by the fact that the, the rebellions out west, uh, they, in the end, the settlers got what they wanted pretty, pretty much. But they had, to, they had to fight for it. They had to kill for it. They had to rebel for it. It could have all been, and I, I realize sometimes it's not that easy, but, but bottom line, it could have all been dealt with earlier if people on one end had cared about the people on the other end 
And I thought, what, what is it they need? That's not really fair what's happening to them. How do we help them? They have some deep feeling over this thing, and we need to do something about that. So in your, in your life, you know, your spouse, your children, your colleagues, etc., what is it they need? What is their perspective? What, what, what is it that they want? And why is that? We, we, need to, we need to care about that. We need to look, about, look to their interests as well as our own. And of course, uh, Paul, I think, brings us right back, yanks our chain quite fully, you know, because we're, we as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, take him as the model. And he is the model for unity. He is the model for humility. And listen to what, what he says here, verses five to eight. He says, have this attitude. We need to have this thinking, this mind uh, set, which is also the same as as in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. So he's, he's at the top of the food chain. He's God. He has everything. But he doesn't consider that to be something to, to be held on to tightly, white-knuckling it, holding on by his fingernails to his rights. No, he gave himself up. This word kenosis, he emptied himself. Taking on the form of a servant and being made in the, in the likeness of a, of a human being. So he became a human being. He gave up all of that stuff to become a human being, being found in appearance as a human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of that shameful death. That's the model that we need. If we want to create and maintain unity, that's the way to go. And you can see it in Jesus. And he's the one that we follow. We're going to have to give up a lot of stuff. You know, the world really needs a way out of the conflict and discord that's going on right now. And I, I think it's a Ideally, if everybody turned to Jesus, that would be really helpful, wouldn't it? Uh, we probably know in the back of our minds, mm, maybe not everybody's going to quite do that right now. But, but, you know, really it starts with individuals. It's all right to talk about nations and regions and political groups, but it really starts with people. It starts with us as individuals. How we can create and maintain unity in the relationships that we have. And, it talk, and it's all about the mindset that we have, where, we, where we, we, we live out a way that we create this experience of love for people. And we give up our own selfish desires and look to their desires and their interests as well. And when we can do that at a, at a, at a, at a micro level in our own relationships and, 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 and the people that we're in contact with in our own businesses and our, our schools and our corporations, et cetera, uh, in our own homes, then we'll create something that is beautiful and enduring. And it will have ripple effects. When people see what, what happens in your life they're willing to take it on for themselves. 
And, and in that way, I think we can, we can fully uh, impact the world as we impact our own relationships. All right, let's just close our eyes for a moment. I apologize for being over a bit. Holy Spirit, will you just come near to us now and begin and continue to do the work that you want to do in us? Ultimately, we need you to propel us forward, to nag us, to bug us, to implant ideas in us, to to give us courage and boldness and energy to act like Jesus. We need this. We need you to work. Will you come and, and continue the work in each of us right now? I want us to just think for a moment, is there some place where we have had unhealthy competition or rivalry? Or holding on to our rights, our privileges, what you're owed, what you deserve. Maybe you're holding on to the injustices of the past. You don't know what they did. They keep doing this thing. I understand this is not easy. And I want us just as a, as a, a symbolic act to just open our hands and just give away, give away the rights that we're holding on to. the hurts of, of, of past relationships. Just clean the slate, Lord. Just take these things. Might be things you're holding against your parents or things you're holding against your spouse even. And Lord, will you come now and speak to us about how we can love, how we can create the experience of love in our midst. Will you point out to us what part of discord is because of our unhealthy need for to be right or for recognition? And Lord, speak to us about how we can consider their interests, how we can even approach considering the interests of others. Some of you right now, you know, oh my word, uh, in my marriage, at my work, oh, you have no idea. Jesus can make a way through. Doesn't matter how desperate it looks, Jesus can make a way through. So, so Holy Spirit, come and, and, and teach us and, and impact us and talk to us about how we move forward here. I just be speaking to you, just write it down or put it in your phone. And Lord, we pray that in every aspect of our life, every place that we go, that we may be agents to create and maintain a healthy unity that arises out of who you are. 
Thank you, Lord. We hope you encounter God and were inspired by this message today. To watch video of this message and other messages from Catch the Fire in Toronto, visit catchthefire.tv. Catch the Fire has churches, schools, events, missions and media all around the world. To find out more, visit catchthefire.com.